Hello, my name is Harry LaVenture and welcome to this week's edition of the Daily Delphi. Now, our subject today is... Breaking Bad and Aristotle. Now today, it's a sad announcement that I am on my own. Uh, I have no extra voices, but I hope I can still maintain uh, the ability to keep your attention and that you still find it interesting. I'm no Mary Beard, but I shall try my best uh, to show you sort of... The real purpose of this podcast is to show you how influential uh, Greek tragedy was and is uh, right, right up until this day on our own culture. Now, Vince Gilligan, uh, Brian Cranston's uh, series Breaking Bad was exceptional, and it's a shame that it's left our our screens, but there have been many follow-ups, and obviously we've had Better Call Saul and, and uh, El Camino and the likes of that, which just sort of confirm how large a series it was. And, I mean, exceptional performances from Brian Cranston, great directing, but it actually owes a lot of its plotline to Greek tragedy. And I think the more, I, the longer I talk, the, the more apparent this is going to become, that there are so, so many links between the two, between something that's 500 years before the Common Era to 2013. I think that was the last episode, Ed. But before I get on to that, I feel like I need to outline what the poetics actually is by Aristotle. So, 5th century BC, we have the, this golden age of Athenian theatre. You've got Aeschylus and Sophocles and Euripides as the three classic sort of giants of uh, tragedy, and obviously we have the most plays from them since. The best uh, preserved are... There's, well, there's usually a correlation that the better preserved ones are often the better pieces themselves, and then they get performed again and again, and that's how we still have them today. And that's... For the same reason, that's why we don't have many bad tragedies by ancient Greek standards. Um, but yeah, and so about 400 years later... Oh, wait, wait. About 100 years later, Aristotle, by now an established um, sort of all-around polymath, um, decides to write his observations... Uh, and he calls it the poetics, and he doesn't just cover um, tragedy, he goes into epic and and all sorts of sort of forms of literature, and basically observes what he thinks is the best best manner to to form such a thing. Um, And he sort of creates a formula for how one has a perfect tragedy, and because of translations and and the like, it's been misinterpreted many times over the years, and sort of it's, it sometimes gets hodgepodge and simplified. But it defines tragedy from the outset as an imitation of an action that is serious, complete, and of a certain magnitude. In language embellished with each kind of artistic ornament, the several kinds being found in separate parts of the play in the form of action, not narrative, through pity and fear affecting the proper purgation of these emotions. Now, at first that sounds quite a tricky definition to unpick, and I can assure you, having read the whole thing, it doesn't get much uh, simpler. Although, when you begin to break it down, it actually becomes a lot 
more friendly. So let's, let's go through this one by one. An imitation of an action that is serious, complete, and of a certain magnitude. So essentially all this means is that it's, it's grave, it's dark, um, and it, it's complete so it, it, sort of, it can stand alone. It works on its own. We're not left sort of uh, desperate for more, I believe. It's actually quite an, quite an ancient thing to have this obsession with sort of a closed end. And there are some uh, ways to do this which are lazier than others. Um, as Aristotle, in fact, remarks, he's not the biggest fan of the deus ex machina, um, which is a god sort of coming down and rounding up everything that's just finished. Um, but to continue with the... Uh, Complete doesn't just mean uh, that it's a standalone, because we also have Aeschylus Oresteia, which is the only track, uh, the only trilogy we have left, which is a real shame. Um, but it is also a masterpiece containing, obviously, Agamemnon, the Libation Bearers, and the Eumenides. I really recommend you go and read at least the first one, if you haven't yet. Um, but so to keep to keep working our way through this, uh, this definition the next part it says is that it has to be embellished in language embellished with each kind of artistic ornament essentially meaning that it's told in song and poetry which obviously both from a competitive perspective and from a historical perspective we know that these were performed in a sort of uh, a song like format um, so the next part of the of the definition is that it's it specifies in f- in the form of action, not narrative. Essentially, meaning it's shown, not told. We're not told what happens. That's something that's something for epic, where words describe what happens. But this is new. This is different. This is where we are shown on stage. Well, for the most part, at least, what is happening. And finally, it says that through pity and fear affecting the proper purgation of these emotions. Purgation, that classic word which is so hard to translate, catharsis. Now, this has been sort of troubling, not troubling classicists, but dividing classicists for years now. And many people interpret the word catharsis in many different ways, and it has been interpreted wrongly many times as well. But... Essentially, it's it's all about a sort of a cleansing feeling. Um, for the most part, if you look at most arguments, it's this idea that once watching the play, you have a sense of sort of all the trauma and and the awful events which you've just witnessed give you this sort of release of emotions. And it's thus that actually this... Uh, the Athenian politics became incredibly oriented around um, around uh, the, the theatre. And I really recommend you watch Michael Scott's three-part documentary on it if you haven't already called uh, The Greatest Show on Earth or something. I can't remember what it was exactly. But it, it really hits on the head uh, in quite an accessible format the way that... Um, Politics and theatre were very closely linked. And on the most primitive level, linking specifically back to the word catharsis, this is because, essentially, 
all these people who sort of have pent-up aggression, and this is never more prevalent than today, where I sit recording this in lockdown, and I, well, we have been stuck in here for almost 12 weeks now, and you get all this pent-up aggression, and so what the government, I suppose, have tried to enrol is sports, encouraging sports and sort of as much physical activity as possible because it gives us this release. And in the same way that the Romans would sort of shout and scream at gladiatorial combat, did the Athenians supposedly, or at least this was the purpose that Aristotle observed a hundred years later, it's important to remember that he did observe this a hundred years later, after this sort of golden age of, of, of tragedy and theatre, that it sort of after they're cleansed, after their anger is released, all this frustration from the working day and all this sort of thing, they can vote with a clear head. It sounds stupid, but it, it really does have an enormous effect. And I believe, to, to some extent, that's why we have, we have so many sports matches today and concerts and that sort of thing. It's great for us, because not only is it an escape, but it's really a time to let go because everybody there is letting go and you come out with this feeling of well, anyone that's ever been to a concert or a sports match knows exactly what I'm talking about because it's just ah, you can't put it into words, can you? it's this incredible sensation and and just I don't want to say enlightenment but you feel at, at sort of at peace having gone through many traumatic experiences uh, to use tragedy as an example now Another thing that uh, Aristotle specifies is a lot of the poetics is about the protagonist. Um, this kind of often gets simplified into tragic, the tragic hero. And the sort of the, the criterion for him or her, or mainly him in ancient Greek times, sadly, was that they had to be noble. They had to be, there's this very sort of pernickety definition where it's like they're mostly good but they're not perfect. You have to get a very, very fine balance between the good and bad because you don't want it to be... You don't want the characters to be so likeable that when they do suffer, we hate it and we feel such pity for them. But at the same time, you don't want them to be so evil that we almost enjoy the, the sort of them receiving their comeuppance, as it were. There's this very, very fine spot in the middle of the Venn diagram, which is where some of the best protagonists in in uh, tragic history fall. And as I will come on later, I do believe Brian Cranston's Walter White to be a perfect sort of epitome of this. And it's it's thus that it achieves this feeling of catharsis. It, it achieves this feeling of catharsis. It is essential that we're we're sort of confused emotionally. We don't know what to think, and it places tension on us. So when everything comes undone, there's sort of this this feeling like as if you've been pulling on elastic for ages, and it finally snaps. Now the next the, the sort of final important thing, and I have to say this is an incredibly condensed version of what what actually is sort of contained within the poetics, is that they have to uh, have a hamasha. Now, this often gets translated into a, a tragic flaw. And it's, 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 again, it's very hard to interpret exactly what is meant. But it's essentially something that ends up being the character's downfall, which is within them. And and it's I really can't go much beyond that because really the best way to see it 
uh, sorry, to, to explain it is by example, I suppose. Because when trying to put it into words, I mean, if Aristotle struggles, then I think we're allowed to struggle. Uh, um, that or we're just not in his intellectual caliber. Um, and so finally, after the protagonist and the definition, the other main part is the plot. The plot itself. We've already heard that it's by action, not narrative. It's by what occurs on stage, not what we're told about, although there are choral odes and sections which we are, which sometimes explain some of the things that would be harder to put on stage. For example, someone gouging their eyes out. Um, but the plot must have a peripeteia, which is the reversal. We've heard that our protagonist is noble and that they're mostly good, so they have to have a moment which sort of everything unwinds from, everything goes to, to pot. Um, they have to have a recognition, or an anagnorisis is the term that was used, um, which is essentially they learn something, they acquire some knowledge, and this is detrimental to them, and probably leads to the, event, the events for the rest of the play. And finally, you have to have suffering, of course, it, it's it's tragic it's a tragedy and it's also uh, it's how our our word or our use of tragedy has sort of changed um over time to mean sort of such suffering because although aristotle says that if the reversal and the recognition happens at the same time they learn something and then subsequent to this they're sort of everything is flipped over and then the suffering is incurred then that's that's what's that's what's best Right, so that's the poetics in as brief a summary as I can give you. I, I sort of feel quite bad for condensing it that much, actually. Now, after the break, I am going to be covering Breaking Bad and how it's actually linked to this. Right, I will see you in a moment. Welcome back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the break and that you uh, had grabbed a cup of tea, or perhaps at least put the kettle on. For now, we're going to be delving deep into the world of Breaking Bad and the close ties, if they haven't already become apparent, that it shares, or more importantly derives from, Aristotle's poetics. Now, I suppose I made quite an unfair assumption that most people had seen or at least knew the plot line of Breaking Bad when I made this. So, uh, just for those people who are who have been living under a rock, Breaking Bad is a show by Vince Gilligan, or at least produced by Vince Gilligan, starring Brian Cranston as Walter White, a chemistry teacher who develops lung cancer, and with a pregnant wife and uh, one disabled child already he essentially turns to cooking methamphetamine uh, to make money which at the start is so that he can afford his hospital treatment but by the end it is for entirely different purposes as we will explore in a moment now anybody that's seen the show is probably conscious of the rather high body count it has which um, there is definitely at least a correlation between the seasons progressing and the body count increasing. And with all that murder and death, it is definitely, quote-unquote, grave to meet Aristotle's uh, definition. Now, it doesn't meet some of the pernickety sort of things about Aristotle, like the idea that a tragedy has to occur in 24 hours or one day. But if we 
cast our minds back to the start of the podcast, one of the things that was set out was that it had to be independent. It had to work on its own. So even if it was a trilogy, i.e. the Oresteia, each play, Agamemnon, Libation Bearers, Eumenides, had to uh, have... Had had to make sense on its own. Had to leave one with a sense of fulfilment, or at least uh, not completely unresolved. And I'd say Breaking Bad is that, because if, if you watch the whole thing in its entirety, it it uh, it leaves itself very resolved and cleared up. And although there is a bit of a cliffhanger, as there are in most modern TV shows, in comparison with the ancient uh, equivalents. If we took one episode and watched it on its own, we would probably be able to make sense of most of it, or at least by the end of it. So, next thing, according to the definition. Magnitude. Now, as I said, the body count increases, and naturally, the one could argue that the stakes increase as the show goes on, and he gets deeper and deeper into the drug world. And, spoiler alert... His cancer goes into remission, but his ego remains. And he essentially becomes a drug kingpin for the sake of it. For the the, the sake of this sort of validation it brings him. And also material material goods it brings him. Suddenly he finds himself very wealthy and he enjoys what he can do with it. For example, buying a a car for his son and then... For his son and they're setting fire to it and so on and so forth but one of the key things about Walter White's character um, which juxtaposes or rather contradicts what is mentioned in Aristotle's Poetics is the fact that he is not noble. Walter White is not a noble character, not uh, insofar as the sort of the way we use the word probably today, it's sort of almost synonymous with chivalry and that sort of thing um, but in the more sort of I suppose Chaucerian gentilesser kind of sense of the word, insofar as he is not of noble birth and the reason that Aristotle elects to have his protagonist in an ideal world of a noble birth is because it makes the, 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 the four larger. But I think this part of the reason this is important and part of the reason I want to dwell on this point is because it's a perfect example of how tragedy has progressed through the years. You see, take something like Oedipus, king of Thebes. Take something uh, even Shakespearean, Hamlet sort of moody prince sort of thing but I think a show of modern tragedy and this is sort of epitomised in things like Death of a Salesman uh, Arthur Miller and, and the like and once more in Breaking Bad is that it's not about the the the, the nobility of the protagonist I think that's, that's to do in many ways with who's watching them now earlier it would have been the monarchy and royals in the court that would have listened to such or watched such things but now due to the availability we've become more and more interested in the everyman and I would make the personal argument that it makes the fool greater knowing that Walter White has earned everything that he's got a genuine talent which is and he has genuine at the start good reason for using such talent and yet Everything he earns himself is not a a given right by birth. And that makes it sort of 
even more pathetic in the sympathetic sense of the word rather than derogatory term um, when when his empire crumbles but we continue now uh, obviously it's not told through song and poetry so it's a bit of an X in the uh, meeting the criterion but it is definitely shown not told Breaking Bad this is insofar as uh, sorry I keep saying that because <laughs> We, as an audience, are sort of focalised through the different characters, the different lenses. And a lot of that is directorial, but it means that we experience things other than when they're sort of being quite cinematically liberal with it and sort of, you know, changing the chronology to make it more exciting or leaving a cliffhanger. Um, We share the character's experience. And... We too go through what they go through. And it's done even more so, and this is through the wonders of modern technology, because it's meant that even in uh, the likes of shows like. Uh, because it means that in shows, or rather plays, tragedies like Oedipus in ancient times, where you would have to have a chorus member uh, announce, or rather depict the eye gouging, in a modern series or a modern adaptation of Oedipus one could literally put the eye gouging on stage uh, maybe not quite as accessible as the uh, ancient tragedians were because you uh, wouldn't necessarily want to put a man literally gouging his eyes out in front of children um, but but the fact is it can be done and Breaking Bad can do that there's no point where they have to sort of start de- describing what's going on without sort of making a visual incarnation of it on on screen Um, and the fact we experience what Walter White goes through as it occurs brings perfectly on to the next point actually because we talk about that incredibly hard word to define catharsis this purging through pity and fear of the sort of built up emotions and tensions of everyday life Breaking Bad through this, through managing show everything and meeting the criteria of tragedy, it means that it can, we can have our own catharsis, but so can the character, so can Walter White. For the audience member, watching all this does, really does release it, and some of it's traumatic, and some of it's sort of exciting, or scary, or tense, but as we watch it, it, um, it, it gives us this purging, especially when it's over and the tension is broken, and for the character at the same time eventually through all of this through all of his sort of self-destructive descent into the drug empire and the sort of inflation of his ego as the money in his bank account has inflated leads to his own personal anagnoresis he learns that really he wasn't doing it for the family anymore he was doing it for him Now let's spend a few moments talking about the character of Walter White in comparison with uh, the criteria set out by Aristotle. Here is a man with good intentions. Here is a man who is proud, who is ambitious. We've seen as much from... Uh, I should probably take a moment to explain this. He, Walter White used to... Uh, he basically founded a company called Grey Matter with 
two others who essentially ripped him off and kicked him out of the company he built. And he's been quite bitter and resentful about that ever since, but he hasn't had the means to do anything about it. And that that was a real shock to his his pride. But now he's got things over these people because he is a drug kingpin and he is far more wealthy than them. And he calls himself the one who knocks. He is he is the one that people are afraid of and not the other way around. And this pride and ambition starts as sort of what makes him entrepreneurial. It's what drives him on. Um, but it also leads to his downfall. So you could argue that's his, that's his own personal homage. Because here is a man who is ambitious and adroit. I mean, you know what they say. They say that leaders share many traits with psychopaths. And what begins as sort of positive aspects, allowing him to drive his career on so that, and this is the important thing, so that he can fund his hospital treatment, by the end of it, it's only for the sake of his ego, which makes it ever more delicious for the audience to watch him descend. But at the same time, it is what leads to his reversal, his his the suffering that is incurred afterwards, the loss of family members, the loss of his empire, the loss of status, having to go and hide in the mountains after a sort of police hits put out on his head, losing all friendships he has, even condemning Jesse Pinkman, who is his partner in the drug trade when they begin all the way back in season one. But I think for all the suffering that occurs, one major difference in Breaking Bad to the classic tragedies. And this, to some degree, as I said earlier with his lack of born nobility, I think it kind of shows the evolution of tragedy. That, or it is probably the main argument for why someone might say Breaking Bad is not a tragedy, because it finishes well. He has his recognition there's a touching moment where he goes to see his wife his wife who is now living in a much smaller house who is just managing alone as a single mum with with kids and, and that sort of thing and he says throughout the, the whole series he has said I'm doing it for you and all that sort of thing um, whilst both we the audience and his family are like no you're doing it for yourself and then in the last episode he goes and sort of clears up all the loose ends that have been left throughout the series. And he goes to his wife and he says, no, I did it for me. And just walks out without saying another word. And that is incredibly telling because he's learned about himself. He's learned his own flaw. And that allows him to, in some ways, and although he can't undo everything he's done, that allows him to undo some of his wrongs. Uh, now, killing 30 neo-Nazis with a mechanized machine gun doesn't really sound like your everyday way to go about it, but it, it is because if we view uh, somebody's impact on the earth as what they leave behind, or the legacy they leave behind, yes, there is that drug kingpin status. Yes, there is that descent into madness, but at the same time he leaves back leaves behind a family who are incredibly wealthy because of him 
he leaves behind most importantly he frees Jesse Jesse Pinkman his his partner from the start who has had endless trauma who is pretty a pretty tragic character on his own who he himself condemns and essentially leads to him being imprisoned for the majority of season five is freed he frees him himself and this allows him to go and essentially begin to undo everything that he's done and so that really is a positive impact on the world he's taken somebody who's gone through divorce who's been a drug addict who has sort of kind of got him into the drug trade and he's freed him so that he can change his meaning of life his, his visions of life and that might be a very very fair case for why Breaking Bad is not a tragedy but in my view I hope at least through the majority of this podcast I have at least uh, managed to show you some of the links between Aristotelian poetics and Breaking Bad as a tragedy and if not Breaking Bad then just TV in general because some of these things similar to Campbell's monomyth some of these things will continue to come up the more you look for them whether that's Shakespearean tragedy with Macbeth and Hamlet and Othello or whether that's more recent Arthur Miller as I said Death of a Salesman the idea of interest in the everyman rather than nobility by birth and I think that's a good note to end on sorry if you've got bored of the tone of my voice uh, it is just me today uh, um, but I will surely be back with guests and I hope you enjoyed I won't give my own favourite god perhaps I'll save that for the season finale or something but for now do enjoy take care and I'll see you in the next episode thank you very much <laughs>